Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, people, you know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band means, yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way here and now. Officially, this will go down as episode number 131. Another episode of the Free Agent Carousel. We go inside the front office as we welcome back our good friend, Jim Duquette. Duke, how are you, sir? Thank you for joining me. Hello. How are you, Casey? Everything's uh, good on this end. Thanks. I'm doing doing well. We could both. Uh, I could I could tell by looking at you, and I feel certainly that uh, even though I'm in the south, it's like uh, 33 degrees here. So, we, what's the weather up there right now? Uh, we woke up this morning in the 20s. It is about 20 degrees colder than Ooh. normal. Uh, yeah, it's going to get yeah. warmer today, thankfully. But uh, yeah. Uh, it's not good. Not fun. It's freezing. No, it's freezing. It's all right. We get yes. to it's it's good around Thanksgiving time because the more you eat, the more you get to pack on to to keep some of that warmth. And big clothes don't show all the weight for dad bods like you and me. So that's good. Uh, you as always at home could jump on board the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern. Get in the bio and jump on the YouTube channel or it believes that's B L E A V. And as always, we're presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Basketball's back. Bet Online, your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends over at Bet Online. If you need source for all your sports wagering information, Bet Online's got live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet your favorite sports and events, whether it's the NFL, like Duke's Ravens, or my Giants, who hopefully you didn't bet on yesterday. NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. Head over to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag to join. Get your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. Receive your rewards, bet online where the game starts. I, I want to kind of, as we get started, really dive in today with you here for a few Duke inside the front office to a lot of the questions that I think a lot of fans have. And we all wonder, how do these things work? And we all come up with our own ideas, but we never really know. So I want to kind of get in the know. And I want to start with this. And that is how offers get made out of conversations. Take me through when you're as a GM starting to talk to agents at the beginning of this process, how many phone calls conversations usually happen? How does the process go from that first contact? Hey, I'm interested in your player to where an offer is actually made. You know, the first conversation that you have kind of dictates the conversations coming after that. So if you're talking to the agent and you get a sense that they're, you know, you first, you try to get as much info as you can. When, you know, are you looking to try to sign quickly? A lot of times the agents are going to let you know they have a lot of interest. Usually that's overblown, you know, the number of teams, but you, it's obvious like some of these guys are going to be getting dozens, a dozen different teams interested. So you kind of know ahead of time, if you're pursuing the high end guys, like, you know, Verlander, DeGrom, you know, the, the, some of the some of the high end guys, not Aaron Judge, because I think there's a smaller number they're pursuing Aaron Judge, because that's you know only a few teams can afford that number. But the guys that are going to be in that hundred hundred and fifty million dollar range or less. You get a sense of a lot of teams are interested. And what's your timeline? Do you have any restrictions? Like, do you want to play in the West Coast, East Coast? A lot of a lot of players these days don't really care about that. But but you try to get all that to the surface. And then you're having conversations, multiple conversations with multiple agents on multiple players. And you're trying to set up some of these high profile guys, meetings over Zoom, in person, uh, conversations, not only with the front office, but your manager, uh, maybe other players that have played together with them. So like all of those things you want to try to line up before the player is going to make a decision, because a lot of times these players, they want that recruiting 
uh, part of the process to to kind of help them understand, make this final decision. It's a big decision for for a lot of these players. So I think that's kind of the the timeline. And and then you're kind of going off of the agent from there. Listen, are you looking to make uh, if if you're looking to make a decision by let's use the winter meetings? then we got to get an offer on the table right out of the gate. A lot of, a lot of times you'll see GMs make an offer, uh, maybe that second or third conversation and just, just try to get things rolling. And, and again, every offer gets you more information. The agent will tell you, well, thanks. You know, you know it's not going to be enough to sign them, but well, okay, the thanks, but you know, we're, you're the first offer in. We're still taking offers. That gives you a, a kind of guideline to their timeline. How much does the relationship with the agent matter in terms of trust do? Because when an agent says to you, hey, you're our first offer, or then says to you maybe to try and kind of build up the offer, hey, we got three or four other teams involved, how much are you more so believing the agent if you as a GM, when you think about your relationships over the years when you were doing it, how much did you more trust that when it was a guy that you'd done business with before? Well, it helps. You know, I think what also helps is, you know, it's a small industry and you're going to go back to them multiple and multiple times for other players. And so, you know, I think that that's a little different than let's say you're going to buy a car and you get the salesman and you're negotiating with a salesman and you're like, geez, I, I may never come back and see this guy again. So, you know, it doesn't, uh, you know, there's not a, as much of a trust factor, the relationship at the end of it, you may or may not care. Um, you know, when you're negotiating and, you know, so there's some guys that are just ruthless negotiators. And, but more of the times than not, you want to have that relationship moving forward. And so there's always a bit of bluffing. You kind of know that circumstances. Uh, but I, and I think that's where sometimes you get, you know, these these stagnant offers or, you know, they, let's say a negotiation kind of sits there for a while because a lot of teams are evaluating players similarly. There's a lot of these analytics and metrics that, that make it a little easier to put offers on the table. And so the agent is really incumbent on them to, to your point, this kind of, you, you, you want to be straightforward with them. Um, but it's also a little bit of a, of a shell game or a guessing game. If you're in the front office, like you don't know the other offers, you don't know who's pushed the envelope, who's willing to go there, but you always know there's one or two teams that will. So I think that, that, that the relationship, even though it's, it's important at the end of the day, um, you know, they're working for their client and you kind of know that, um, you know, that, that you can trust you know, in some cases, 20% of their words, some cases, uh-huh. 50%. I don't know if you can completely 100% trust it, uh, what the agent is telling you, because it's their job to, to bluff you and to, and to get that negotiate the highest deal. Yeah. I want to talk about the first offer, which I would Jim Duquette, you know, when you talk about the, the first offer, I think about you mentioned the car sales. I was trying you know, over the years, you know, dumb it down to, hey, like we've all whether it's a house and you're putting a bid on right or, or whatever. It is, we've all kind of been there in our own different areas. And you yep. think about making a competitive offer. You don't want a low ball. You want to be in the ballpark. You don't want to give your best offer because then you have nowhere to go. You also may not have to go that high if no one else has gone that high. How difficult is that that? portion of it duke because you really don't know the answers on the other side how important is it that when you give an offer in an off season like this with any of these free agents that it's good enough to be in the mix right but that you're giving yourself enough wiggle room with your owner that you have somewhere higher to go if you need to to get the deal done you know some of the that's where maybe the relationship pops in a little bit so so a lot of times you can talk to an agent and say listen i'm this is where we see him you know you may have other people that view him differently this is where we see him 
And a lot of times, you know, the, if you have a good relationship with the agent, he'll may tell you, listen, I'll, I'm going to save you a lot of time. You don't have a, you don't have a chance at that offer. There's no shot at getting the player. You should look elsewhere. And, and, and a lot of times you can tell if they're bluffing or not based off of, you know, your own evaluation. And there's, there's sometimes big gaps with guys baby or based off of, you know, maybe the, the year that they had coming into the free agent year. Um, and so that's where the relationship does help. Um, and I think, though, that when you have a, let's say, use Scott Boris as an example, because he is, I think, the best negotiator out there. And he really leaves you guessing on where your offer stands compared to everybody else. And that, to me, has always been the most effective way. Like, I don't know. I'm just kind of shooting in the dark here, trying to make an offer. Almost always, if you're making a, an offer that he feels as though he's going to make an extreme reaction, that the player is completely offended. And you have to sort through, you know, what's real and what's kind of the BS part of that of that conversation, because, you know, at the end of the day, I'll go back to the Carlos Beltran conversations that I was a part of uh, back in the early uh, 2000s. You make an aggressive offer, you know that you're one of the more aggressive ones. And when he's acting offended by that, then you know that there's, you know, that that's not really an effective bluff. Uh, at all, and and so you, you could be high fiving the player, there. and then saying shush, right, and then turning around to you trying Absolutely. to get a higher number, thinking, hey, we can get more out of them, no right? He's always pushing that envelope, right, and leaving you wondering, geez, is our offer really low compared to the other one that they have out there? In that particular case, it was the Astros. By the by, the way, we were probably thirty million dollars higher than the Astros at the time, but he made it sign all the way to the end, made it sound like we were lagging in our offer trying to get us to push the number up. So so it's that constant back and forth that you try to sort out. And really, it's it, it sometimes it just comes down to what's your willingness to go to what number, and then you just kind of sit there. And if you lose out on the player, then you lose out on the player. But that's the hard part about it, you know, especially if you put all of your eggs in the one basket. You've been in, in and I want to talk about a, a bunch of these different situations, but I remember going back to the Pedro scenario, which you were involved in those conversations. And for those who remember in the way back machine at the time, the Red Sox had given, I think they gave Pete like a two year offer. I mean, right. And you guys ended up giving four and right for 54 or something like that, which now seems like no money, but at yeah. the time was, was a lot. And he earned you know, more than that in terms of just showing up every five days with what he brought to the franchise. We've talked about that over the years, but I bring it up because the difference between years I referenced about a week ago, a very different situation, but near home to you in Baltimore where Nelly Cruz wanted four years. He gets a three-year offer from the Baltimore Orioles. Scott plays him into the season. He goes to Seattle and you know, Baltimore never was the same for not giving that extra year. Does this Jacob deGrom situation come down to, the Mets probably willing to give three, break their own record at AAV to keep them, and DeGrom getting four elsewhere in the market, and, and that being kind of where the battle's going to begin. Is that is that where we're at with DeGrom? How do you see this thing? I, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, DeGrom, I mean, they're trying to push five. They're not going to get five. And if I'm looking at a team, you know, that's interested in DeGrom, um, and you, you, know, you kind of read through some of the information that's out there, the Mets – willingness to go to three and there's also been reports out there that they're reluctant to go to four whatever it is that means he's going to get four it may not be with the Mets it may be with somewhere else and that's where the difference I think lies and you know if you're if you're at a ground you have to sort out do you want to go for that extra year uh with you know likely more money 
uh, somewhere else and what's their chances of winning. Let's say Texas, who, who you know, a lot of rumors out there, and obviously former teammate of his, Chris Young, is the general manager there. Uh, Bruce Bochy just was hired as a team, as a guy that wants to win now. Uh, they spent all this money last year. They're going to have to back that up with more money this year. Like to get a player or a pitcher like DeGrom, they have the extra year. And then DeGrom has to decide if that's the spot he really wants to go or does he want to go back to the place that he knows with a, an average annual value of likely going to be, you know, record breaking north of north of Max Scherzer, who they already are breaking uh, signing last year. So I, I really do think that's it's going to come down to something um, is as we'll call it simple as that. Yeah, I, I look at the DeGrom situation. Here's where I want to dig into or chat with Tim Duquette because I look at one of the things that's always fascinated me that your know, real great GMs and, and you know agents on their side are, are really good at is how do you keep balls in play when you're really focusing on one guy and how important that is because in a scenario like let's say if the Mets were to lose DeGrom, and them having conversations with Verlander's people, having conversations about Senga, having conversations about Rodon and, and whoever else it may be, making sure Duke as a team, you don't get cut out, you know, you know, shit out of luck, so to speak, because you're in on DeGrom. He goes to the Dodgers, let's say, who maybe shock you and give four years. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the other guys are already deeper in conversation. And maybe you, it's too late to get in. How much is that what this is all about? And how difficult is that? I mean, how are you doing that if you're a team like the Mets or even Houston, if they lose Verlander, right? Where else are they going to go? How do you keep the other balls in play when you know, and those agents know, Duke, that's not your top guy. Those agents know, the agent for Rodon, hey, they know you're in on DeGrom and that's your dude and they're probably second fiddle. How are you making them feel like that first guy when they know they're kind of waiting in the wings in case dominoes get to that level. That, that I think is the most challenging part about all this discussion is you need to have parallel conversations with three, you know, right now, if you look at the free agent market, you know, the guys that could replace the are Verlander and Senga, the Japanese uh, pitcher coming over that's being posted as well. Those are like the three. Um, and then you could throw Rodon in there too. So you have a couple of options and you're making sure that, those guys are, feel like they're, you know, they're your number one choice or number two choice, or possibly even like, hey, we're, we we want to do both, potentially. Um, you know, in the Mets case, they could certainly afford to do both. But you're trying to, you know, make sure that, uh, hey, we're going to sign the message to those other free agents is we're the, the the pitcher, the starting pitcher that is willing to sign first. If we match up, we'll we're willing to uh, that that lands the player. And it might come to the point where you are having that conversation with DeGrom's people say, listen, we're coming down this road with another pitcher. We want him. We, but, you know, we need to make a decision on this other player. There's a chance we, we sign him. And that's where that communication, that constant uh, communication with the agent comes into play where they realize, listen, if we, if the Mets leave us, we're left with however, you know, they're the ones who hold the cards. They know all the information. They might say, geez, we can't afford to have the Mets go. We really want to uh, go back to the Mets, and we've pushed it as far as we can. Now let's let's make a deal with the Mets because they're about to leave us for somebody else. So that's the back and forth that you have to read in the front office. The agent gives you some signals. Sometimes they don't. The really good agents, you know, have a couple of different backup plans just in case that happens to them. And that's where that conversation is really important. Last year, if you look at what the Mets did with Stephen Matz, they really wanted Matz. The agent kind of left them at the altar, 
you know, went off to this four-year deal with the Cardinals, didn't circle back to the Mets. He probably could have gotten more from the Mets. And at the end of the day, worked out for, for New York because they went out and they traded for, you know, Chris Bassett and, and, you know, did a couple other things and Mats got injured. But that's an example of, of a, maybe a lack of communication from the player side that ended up working out okay for the team side. You, you mentioned the trade for Bassett, and I want to dig in here on the Mets for a second, and then I'll go back kind of open wide for, uh, for a bit. You know, one of the things I've been saying about the Mets is that you, they're a win-now team. You know, you got Scherzer at his age, especially if you bring DeGrom back. They're trying to win now, yet there has been this reluctancy, you know where I am on prospects, to deal prospects because they're trying to win in the future. But we don't even know how Alvarez gets into the lineup this year. Is he going to catch? Is he going to be a right-handed DH? And to me, that holds up a lot of what's possible for them in, to, in terms of improving their lineup. I mean, if he's behind the plate every day, certainly it's going to advance things you would assume offensively. But if not, then what is he? I mean, you know, is he, is he the everyday DH? Where does he sit? I bring that up because my belief is their system, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is good enough. They can make a trade for that second, uh, that other pitcher outside of whether DeGrom comes back, Verlander. You know, clearly they could go Senga Rodon if they wanted. You know, Bassett gave them a lot of innings. I personally was very vocal. I did not like hearing him talk about playing in New York like it was a big deal afterwards. He looked scared to me the way he pitched in big spots. I think he's an innings guy like we saw, but to me, I think he's better suited for a smaller market. That's what I get from him. Do you think the Mets will play in a trade market, the glass nose of the world, some of the other guys, maybe call Cleveland about the Beavers? I mean, you know, there are probably a lot of other names I'm not thinking about top of my head, but how much do you think the Mets may need to get creative with all the holes in this staff, even if they bring DeGrom back and go through the trade market perhaps, Duke? Well, I definitely think that's an option for them, you know, and it doesn't, it's not um, that, the, an option for a lot of teams. You know, they they showed a little bit of reluctance to, to trade their high end guys at the at the deadline. They did it two years ago with Pete Crow Armstrong, and it looks like they might get burned on that one because he he seems like or looks like he's going to be a, a really good impactful type of, of prospect. And so I think they're they're reluctant to do that again. But again, in the in the right situation, if if that's their only chance or only. Uh, opportunity to upgrade the rotation they would do it but i think it, it, what they're trying to do is do both try to hold on to those position player prospects and and think about how does alvarez factor in how does baby factor in um you know i don't know if vientos is going to factor in. we didn't get a great look at him he didn't look long good swing out, out i don't like case, his swing dude yeah i don't love his swing yeah exactly so right so so i think there's enough questions on that so all right maybe he's a guy that you can deal if you could get some interest there or a mauricio but I think that their their hope is that they can, because of the strength and the starting rotation um, free agents at the moment, that they can go and fill a couple of their, their needs. You know, and if it's not Bassett, because Bassett has a relationship with Buck that we saw during the course and of Max, the season two. Right. And Max as well. Right. So, you know, I think that, you know, and, and I don't, you know, if I were to guess, Bassett might come back, but Walker wouldn't. Um, they got Carrasco back. So, so, you know, I think there's, though, to your point, they have two starters out there that I think they're going to, they're going to end up with, um, and then, uh, you know, add some bullpen depth. And then obviously they need a bat, you know, whether it's you know replacing Nemo or, or Brandon himself, which, you know, they, I think they're going to be the highest bidder on Brandon. So, you know, I think that that's kind of how the Mets are going to try to sort some things out. And I think the last, um, the last possibility for them is to trade. But, you know, the other thing to your point, like we had Chris Antonetti on, he said Bieber's not going to be available. 
Uh, we usually, usually, you know, if they're going to trade somebody to kind of make it known out there, um, you know, Milwaukee doesn't sound like they're going to have any of their pitchers at the moment, Burns or Woodruff in particular, they're going to be available. You know, Glasnow might, but he has some question marks with the health and you start to wonder going to be able that right now still hasn't been flushed out, but it doesn't seem like it's, there's as much quality there as maybe we've had in other winters. Uh, last thing of the Mets, and then I want to talk about these shortstops that are available. Uh, is, is Alvarez a catcher, Duke? Uh, you know, he's a, he's a good offensive player that we know has got some limitations defensively. I think eventually he can grow into that position as a And if they end up doing some of this, you know, robot umpiring that they're talking about, you know, maybe the framing aspect doesn't become as big of a factor. Right now, he's not as good as the guys that they have with McCann and Nito. And if you see, you know, you've seen this too, in the postseason, almost every team has a good defender. Um, oh. You know, even Riamuto, who's a good Salvador offensive player, Perez, has a tremendous ability. Buster Salvi, Posey, like, oh, even Roberto Perez. Catch. I mean, right? Every guy, every yeah. team's got to have Vasquez. a catcher. Look, Kurt Suzuki, yeah. right? You got to, yeah, I got to have yeah. a guy who knows how to who knows how to receive. Uh, Maldonado certainly fits into that as well. Maldonado, yeah. You know, Sean Murphy's going to be available for Oakland. He's a really I good like two way player. Yeah. Um, you know, Danny Jansen or with Toronto, Alejandro Kirk. So there's a bunch of guys like that that are out there. You know, he Alvarez isn't that, but I do think he can be an offensive. A guy that let's say he let's say he he caught defensively fifty games and then played in the DH role the rest you know whatever number that is if he's if he's swinging the bat well he gets some, yep. you know eighty games as a as an offensive player you know I think he's going to be a guy that we we don't know a lot how it's going to look but we you feel pretty uh, confident that he's going to be a good major league hitter he's got a good idea of the strike zone so I think I think that's how they insert him to the major league level they ease him in on the defensive side but the bat yep. plays so per- perhaps eat a lot of McCann's money get rid of that last year somehow Alvarez backs up Nito Maybe, learns yeah. from him and DH is some uh, right-handed kind of a thing uh, I want to talk about the shortstops here because I'm fascinated by by this group uh, I look at it this way I- I'd be almost shocked if Dansby Swanson's not playing here in Atlanta, they got all these contracts. They saved all this money on Duke. I understand they paid Riley long term, but they went out and extended Olsen immediately. And all these guys and Swanson has become the leader in that room. He's a hell of a player. Very reminiscent to me of Chase Utley in Philadelphia in terms of he's the glue. You could tell in the way he plays the example he sets. He's a big time hitter of the four. Is that the one that you're most sure goes back to his his team or would you take Bogarts, Red Sox, Turner, uh, Dodgers or, or Correa Twins? I mean, which one's most likely to go back to the team that, that they were on, Duke? I, I think Swanson is the one that most likely goes back to Atlanta. I think when you look at the other guys, they're all going to be high, high salary um, and AAV guys. Swanson, I, I think the agent might be miss. Uh, evaluating the market out there for Swanson. Like, he's not a $200 million shortstop. He's just not. And, you know, for me, they could have, and I think they should have been able to get something signed uh, before he became a free agent. So that's the one hesitation, you know, about him going back to Atlanta that I have. But, you know, I kind of look around uh, the other teams that are going to push the envelope. Like, I think he's a over $100 million player oh, sure. um, in most cases. And, and so, you know, if that's the case, and I think Atlanta has the flexibility to go there and they've talked about their payroll being top five in the game, 
uh, they have plenty of room to to bring him back. I think it's a perfect fit for him and and likely that he would return to the Braves. When you look at Turner, uh, I keep look Philadelphia even before the Bryce injury to me just keeps you know it screams everything that they want. Uh, they had a huge problem clearly as Hoskins is the righty between those two lefties last year. Turner could be there. You could bump Schwarber down where guys are actually on base for him. Let Turner lead off the new rules which are going to enable and I know he's thirty, but the first couple of years of this deal, Turner yeah. to steal a crap load of bases for you. Does does that in terms of matchmaking seem to make a lot of sense with Philadelphia for Turner? Where are you looking for Trey right now? I think that's the 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 most logical place if they're going to uh, you know spend the money, which you know we know that owner has been willing to do. I think the Cubs are definitely in play. Uh, you mentioned Minnesota. I don't think Minnesota quite as much because he's going to be he's going to be high two hundreds in terms of the payroll. Uh, I think the Giants are there. You have you have him go shortstop and move Crawford or you know Turner and for a year. So Crawford and then you flip him the shortstop like brings to to the equation. But I think for me, the three front, uh, front runners, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in Philly. You mentioned Nimmo. Let me uh, close there. Seattle to me was one to be kind of worried about. Then you saw the Teoscar deal and you thought maybe not. And then Jerry came out and said, and it is Trader Jerry, so you never know where they're going, but said, hey, they're still looking for another outfielder. I know the proximity to Wyoming is certainly great. They're an exciting team. They got the All-Star game this year. A lot of things to sell Scott on and vice versa in terms of spending money. Uh, Toronto maybe in the mix, St. Louis. Am I missing any teams that that battle the Mets there? And And who do you think? You know, is is the the biggest one for a Met fan that's watching to worry about in terms of the Nimmo market right now? I think uh, Cubs are a possibility. Houston's a possibility as well. Um, I mean, there's so many teams that need center fielders, and there's just none out there. You know, and so um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers jumped in. He's a he's a, a guy that um, absolutely fits there after they non-tendered Cody Bellinger even though bets could go there. Uh, but so I think that there's a, a lot of those teams. The, inter- the interesting thing on him is, you know, we've seen, you know, in terms of him playing, he hasn't played more than 140 games except for two seasons. And so that factors into that. A lot of times when you're out there and you're trying to decide, like, is he a $125 million player? Is he a $100 million player? Does he get to George Springer's number of 150? I, I don't think so. You know, but, but I mean, that was an older contract. So, and I never, I never dealt the the agent there with Boris that he has Nimmo that he gets what 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 they're looking for. So, yeah, you know, to me, I still think the Mets really, really want Nimmo back. And I hear that, and I hear, you know, I know uh, Steve Cohen's going to spend a lot of money. I feel like whatever that number is, I think it's going to be close to 150, believe it or not, which I never would have guessed two years ago for Brandon Nimmo. Uh, if it's close to that number, he goes back to the Mets, no question in my mind. Duke, appreciate you. Thanks so much for the spot today. Uh, enjoy the Thanksgiving with your family. Uh, do you have a, is there a favorite side dish for you coming up here in a couple of days? Side dish, you know, so I, you know I'm I'm a big cranberry sauce, either oh, homemade me too. or in the kitchen. Me too. I yeah, there's a good like I'm I'm all in on that. So yeah, we'll we'll be having that. We got a couple other things, but that one's my favorite. It's kind of a sneaky little uh, side dish for me. So. Anything with gravy, and I don't need any greens. No green bean casseroles, no string no beans. No, no, no. Get that out of here. No, Thanksgiving is not a day for <laughs> greens. When you diet no. after Thanksgiving, no. that's when you can bring the greens in. Yes. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, yes. Duke. I'm with you.
All right, Case. See you, buddy. There Bye. he is, Jim Duquette, joining us here, taking us inside the front office on the free agent carousel here on Unfiltered. And I want to get into just quickly a couple of things that he said that I don't think people think about. There's so much luck that is involved when you get in these deals. And covering this over the last couple of decades, there have been so many times where I've heard situations, you know, even kind of off the record, off the air about, you know, hey, you don't understand how close we were on that guy with teams you never even thought were playing. Every team is going to on these great players, whether they have a need or not. And I used to be a headhunter many years ago. It's the same way, whether there's an opening or not, they're going to look to get better. If a player out there is better than the player they currently have in whatever set position, starting pitcher, a reliever, a center fielder like Nimmo, somebody at shortstop like a Trey Turner who we discussed, they're going to make calls and they're going to be in on those conversations because they're going to say, hey, look, Maybe we could trade our piece away. Maybe there's a way we can move our guy over in the field, you know, change positions. All these things become possible. But with the amount of balls that are in play of how do I keep this top guy that I want? If he leaves and takes an offer that exceeds what we're willing to give, how do I make sure all those other guys are not gone? Like the DeGrom situation, if you're the Mets, if we're high in on DeGrom and we're going after DeGrom, how do I make sure? Verlander hasn't yet signed with Houston. Rodon hasn't signed. Senga hasn't gone. We got to do we have to get Bassett back? They may go into it saying, hey, we're okay if Bassett and Walker leave. And all of a sudden, DeGrom goes to Texas and, and Rodon signs elsewhere. And Verlander goes back to Houston. They may need to bring both guys back for all you know, or then look via trade. A lot of this is luck and timing. And it is not a direct science, but the ones who are the best at it, the GMs who do the best job, it's about relationships and rapport. Like anything in sales, the relationships and the rapport that they have with these agents and the connections allow them to be in the mix. What you want most of all is to never lose a guy without knowing you lost a guy. You're okay with deciding, hey, look, no, we're not going to hit that number, but you want to say thank you for coming back to me. Thank you for bringing it back here for a chance for us to get there. We're not going to hit that mark. Go ahead and take the player. Best of luck, right? Elsewhere, whether he's with you or if he's a free agent to, to a different city, where you don't want to get stuck is where you don't get that last chance, right? That that writer refusal to say, no, 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 hey, well, let me get back to you in 24 hours. We can hit that number. Or let me see if my owner can hit that number. Where you get screwed is when you don't get that chance. And a lot of times when you don't get that chance, it's relationships and rapport. The GMs that do the best jobs have the best relationships with the agents where they know that, hey, look, they're not going to lowball a guy and blow him out of the water one way. They're not going to aim too high too quickly because then there's no more room for them to go and they're setting the market for other teams and they're able to keep the conversation going. The more conversations you can keep open, and it's a sales thing too, the more conversations you keep open, the more, more of a chance there is that you can lock something down and close a deal it's such a fascinating part of what goes on behind the scenes. We'll continue to cover it all here on Unfiltered, all on the free agent carousel, all with you as we inch closer to Thanksgiving. As always, we are thankful for the folks at Bet Online because Unfiltered, as always, is presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.